0: Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young.
1: When we're depressed, we have to go back and remember. Remember the time you felt close to God. Remember that joy. You got to remember where we are. Remember who we are in Christ. Remember His grace. Remember His second chance. Remember the joy of the Lord. We have to remember. God's given us a memory so we can look back in dark moments and say, yes, I remember that hallelujah time. Yes. I remember that glorious time. Listen, if you are blessed, you can't be depressed. The truth
0: is God can shine light into the darkness of depression. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today on The Winning Walk, Dr. Young begins his message, Depression, and reveals how you can find hope from God's Word when you struggle with pain and mental health. Stick around. Dr. Young is coming right up. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Depression.
1: Turn let me see everybody has a Bible with you. Hold your Bible up, if you would, if you have your Bible, hold it high in the air. Oh, great, great, a whole sea of Bibles. Take your Bible, turn to the middle of it to the book of Psalms. Psalm, okay? There's 150 of them. 150 chapters. Of those 150 chapters, Psalms can be divided into five different books, five books, 150 chapters. Now, we're going to look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 today. Actually, those are not two Psalms. It's just one Psalm. And chapter 42 marks the beginning of the second book of Psalms. Remember, there's five divisions. You don't see it in your text. This is the second division. Now, the first division of Psalm 1 through chapter 41, the primary word in Hebrew for God is Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the family name. It is the covenant name of God. Remember, God had a contract, a covenant with His people, the Jews. And this is the covenant name. Beginning with chapter 42, that we're going to look at today, we see the name now is Jehovah or Yahweh. It is the name Elohim, is used primarily. That is the word for the living God. That is the word for the universal God. So we see the book transition there in the emphasis of the Psalmist. We look at 42 and 43, and they belong together. By the way, the verses and the chapters were not a part of the manuscripts we have the Bible. And sometimes you read a verse and say, why did they divide that verse there? Or you come to a chapter, you say, well, what is the meaning? This chapter continues really in the next section. Someone said that the person who divided the Bible in chapters and verses, He was riding on a horse, and he had the manuscript in front of him, and every time the horse hit a bump, they'd say, verse. (laughs) And sometimes you think that, but Psalm 41 and Psalm 42 is one hymn, one hymn. Who wrote the psalm? Uh, One commentator said Hezekiah. I think he pulled that out of heaven. A lot of people believe is one of the sons of Korah, I want to believe this is also a Psalm of David. What David would do would be inspired by God. He would write a Psalm and he would give it to the minister of music. He'd say, put the the melody to it, put the song to it. I think this is what we find here. I want to show you how you can understand this is indeed a hymn and it has three stanzas to it. Look at Psalm 42 as an overview. I think it's very interesting. Verse one, through verse four is the first stanza, OK? And then you have verse five is the chorus. Then you have verse number six, through verse number 10, that's the second stanza, OK? There's the chorus. Verse 11 is identical to verse five. See it? Same words. same words. Then you have the third stanza. It's Psalm 43, beginning with verse 1. It, through, it goes through verse 4. Then you have the fifth verse. That's another chorus, right? That's another chorus. So you have a hymn here that has been written, and now I want us to listen as I read from the New American Standard the chorus of this hymn. Reading verse 5, or it could be verse 10, or it could be uh, verse 5 in the other chapter. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, in the message, this is translated, I think, in a clearer way. I want you to look at it on the screen. This is a translation in the message. Now, I want us to read this together. Would you do that? Listen to it. Read it with me. Why are you down in the dumps? Time out. All 12 of you, read it with me. Here we go. (laughs) Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. Now, let's say it like this, he puts a smile on my face, he's my God. Say it like that, here we go. He He puts a smile smile on my my face, face. he's my God. God. That is the chorus that liberates the psalmist and we'll see it liberates you and me out of the moments of deep, deep despair and depression. Let's pray together before we teach God's Word. Father, speak clearly and directly to us. May we not just hear, but help us to absorb and put your truth in the middle of our bones and our hearts and who we are. And Lord, help me. Help every one of us here to apply your word to ourselves. You speak let me get out of the way, is our prayer made in the name of Jesus Christ, our healing Lord. Amen. A psychologist was addressing a class of would-be psychologists. His topic was manic depression. And when he got through the message, he said, I'm going to give you a little test. He said, here's a man who's walking and shouting and screaming to the top of his voice, and the next minute, he is sitting down crying uncontrollably. Tell me about this person. Young guy lifted his hand. He said, yes. He said, he's a basketball coach. So we talk about depression. Depression, according to the World Health Association, is the number two leading disabler of people in the Western world. Did you get that? Cardiovascular disease is the number one problem medically in the Western world. Depression is the number two problem. There are about 312 or 313 million people in the United States. And any given time, there are between 30 and 40 million of them are depressed. The estimates are that 15% of the population of America takes antidepressants. Depression cost corporate America, listen carefully, over 70% billion dollars a year as they seek to medically help their employees. You're four to one more likely to have a heart attack if you're depressed than someone who is not depressed. It is a staggering medical problem. In fact, it is the number one medical problem of people in the Western world are under 44 years of age. See, I barely get under that. (laughs) And all of us deal with it in different forms, all the way from being down in the dumps or being blue, all the way to clinical depression. Some of you remember the cartoon Peanuts. And you remember when uh, Lucy would go and set up her booth, remember? She'd set up her booth, and she'd get behind the booth, and Charlie Brown would come up, and she would answer all of his problems. And on that booth, it would say sometimes, the psychiatrist is in, five cents, remember? Let me say to you up front, the psychiatrist is not in. I'm not gonna pretend to stand here and tell you that I can give you three points and a poem, and quote a couple of scriptures, and shazam, you'll be healed of depression. It doesn't work like that for many people because it is complex, it is circumstantial, it involves people, it involves our past history, but my purpose is to get you and me to think critically and biblically when we deal with depression. That's my purpose, to think biblically And critically when we deal with depression. Now let's try to define it. Someone said that it's taking a lot of diseases and mixing them together and putting them in a wastebasket. What does it mean to be depressed? It is unique sadness. It is a overwhelming feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. It is being bottomed out. It is running out of bullets. It is a battle of fatigue and exhaustion exhaustion for no real physical reason. Depression, I think, is you take a life and you stick a pin in it and all the air comes out. All the passion, all the zest comes out. And that's the reason depression can be called a crushed spirit. A crushed spirit. Now, so we look at depression and we see it introduced to us in Psalm chapter 42, 43, which I've already said is simply one hymn. And we see how the psalmist became depressed. What is the cause of his depression? It's clear in the scripture, and we're going to move rapidly, not being able to look at all of these verses. You see, the cause of depression is found in several verses. Look at verse 3, the latter part of Psalm 42. He says, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? That will lead you in depression. If there are people around you, that all day long, day after day, a problem comes up and they say, well, where is your God? Or a situation comes up and they say, well, are you a Christian? And all day long, they're questioning, they're belittling, they're challenging, day after day after day, Where is God? Well, if there is a God, and you have people that surround us, and if you're surrounded by individuals like that, let me tell you something, they will beat you up, and you'll have to battle with the, as Winston Churchill called it, the black dog. Churchill would say, the black dog of depression has come into my house. He was talking about darkness, being into a pit where there is no light. And by the way, let me say up front, people say, well, if you're a Christian, you can't be depressed. Not so. Many great saints in history battled with depression, with despondency, with negativity, with problems that absolutely overwhelmed them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, arguably one of the great communicators of the gospel in the last century, always had to face, almost every week, depression. So don't let anybody out-pious you or out-deal with you, because this is a malady that strikes different people. We see what happened to the psalmist. Everywhere you go, somebody's saying, well, where is God? What about your God? And they're questioning, questioning, questioning. By the way, you can't answer all the questions of the skeptics. You just can't satisfy them. There's a question, there's an answer, there's a question, there's an answer. It is unending. And if you're surrounded by someone or people like this, it will beat you up in time. Look at another aspect of depression. Uh, Look at the middle of verse, same chapter of verse number 9. It says, why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. In other words, every time there's somebody there who is opposing you, You know, whatever it is, they're there as the opposition. They're there to confront. That will lead you into depression. Look what else you see in verse 10. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? They laugh. I mean, you still believe the Bible is true. I mean, where have you been? Did you ever go, go to school? I mean, what kind? Oh, they revile, they laugh, they criticize all day long. They question. That will just beat any believer up, any individual up. It'll throw us in a depression. And what kind of people are these that are around the psalmist? He, people like we know. Look at the second part of Verse 1 in chapter 43, he says, "'Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust person.'" They're deceitful. They're, They're conniving, and they're unjust. By that, they don't know the difference in right and wrong. They don't know the difference in that which is just and that which is unjust. Just surround anybody here with folks like this. Well, where is your God? with folks that are always opposing you and questioning you. Look what it says, all day long, all day long. Read that twice. And they revile, they laugh. The worst thing to do is laugh at us. We we don't like to be laughed at. Oh, 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 man, (laughs) look at you. I just, oh, my goodness. See, they revile, undercut. And, And they're deceitful people, empty people and they don't know justice, the difference in right and wrong and what is honorable, what is dishonorable, what is profane, and what is of God, see? Surround us like that, folks, ladies and gentlemen, and it will beat you down, and you will be depressed. This is the psalmist, is it not? This is the psalmist. In the Wall Street Journal this week, I happened to look at it, and it, it, it pictured four individuals that will destroy any meeting. Have ever been in meetings of all kinds? We go to little meetings. You could have these four individuals will destroy any meeting. Look at them on the screen. First of all, there's the jokester. You ever been in a meeting with somebody like that? The crime is they assault with deadly punchlines. Look at the modus operandi. How do they operate? Uh, cracks jokes appropriate or not, and waits for the response from the other workers. The level, look at it, misdemeanor, nuisance. Don't anybody like that? Getting again, here's somebody's who's always got to be cute or fine I have a perch line or one up everybody. That'll, that'll destroy any meeting. That'll destroy any. Look at the next kind of person we have here. Crime, this is a dominator. Greatly overestimates value of her or his personal opinions. Modus operandi, disrupts discussion and includes information overkill. Know anybody like that? Look at the level, first degree nuisance. Know anybody like that? Are you like that? Look at the next person they presented. This is the namesayer, crime, premeditated negativity. Oh, yeah. Waits until consensus is almost reached and derails a meeting with major objections, level, first-degree nuisance. Know anybody like that? Are you like that? Look at the next kind of person we see. The rambler. Oh, I love this. Crime. Inflicts death by boredom. Modus operandi, takes discussion to faraway places to people forget why they're there. (laughs) Second degree nuisance. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You work for somebody like that. You work with somebody like that. You have people like that working for you. You will be surrounded by depression a great hunk of your life. And if you're married to somebody like that, (laughs) God help us all. (laughs) Now folks, look in the mirror and see if one of those sort of fits you. If you are, you are a depressor. And with determination and God's grace, you and I can change and that's the good news. So a lot of times people depress us and circumstances depress us. Let me tell you what's depressing me right now. This is not a political statement. If you interpret it like that, you didn't listen. It's gonna sound political, but I assure you it is not, but it depresses me. When I see on television someone of my profession and they say, I am an evangelical Christian but I don't see anything wrong with same-sex marriage. That depresses me. Why? Why does that depress me? Now understand, anybody can live any kind of lifestyle in America they want to live. We're a pluralistic society. As long as it doesn't break the laws of our land, that's the freedom that we enjoy. I understand that. That's who we are, but by the same token, when someone says, I am an evangelical, let me tell you what that means. It means that you believe, solo scriptural, you believe the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. And the Bible is clear regardless of the gymnastics that some people try to go through, That says that the gay lifestyle, the homosexual lifestyle is wrong. It is a sin. And the Bible teaches one man, one woman, and that is marriage. And so, therefore, when I stand up and say, I believe the Bible. Oh, I believe the Bible. I'm an evangelical, but I see nothing wrong with this. It's fine if they see nothing wrong with this, but at the same time, they can't say I'm an evangelical. You see, we're under the authority of this book. We're not over the authority of this book. That's what it means to be an evangelical. Now, let me rush to say, I am sure your sins and my sins may be greater and more damning in the sight of God than the sin of homosexuality. I'm not putting sins in categories. We're all sinners. Make that clear and understand that. But I can't have it both ways. I can't say, boy, I support the Texans. Boy, I want our football team to go and win the the championship and to play in the Super Bowl. Man, I'll wear a Texan jersey. I'll put on a Texan helmet. I'm a supporter of the Texans. I'm a greatest fan. But when they play America's Team Dallas, I yell for Dallas. (laughs) Now, you can't do that, can you? That doesn't make any sense. You violate the basic law of logic, which is non-contradiction. I can't say my favorite color is yellow. It's like, no, my favorite color is blue. You can't have it both ways. Now, understand if someone says, I see no problem with same sex marriage, that's fine. I have no problem with that statement whatsoever. But I cannot say I am an evangelical and I believe that book at the same time say I see nothing wrong with same sex marriage. See? And when I hear that by people of my profession or anybody who claims to follow this book, it depresses me. It depresses me about our culture and about where we are. Now, we see here the causes of depression, and we see now the symptoms of depression in the life of the psalmist. Stay with me. He confesses. He lays the symptoms out clearly. I want you to see them here. His first symptom is one of dryness. We can identify with that in our depression. Look what he says. Verse 1, chapter 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? It is like a deer that is looking for water, and runs to a brook, and the brook is dry, and there's no moisture in the sand. You see it? And therefore, he is panting. There's a feeling of dryness. When we're oppressed, sometimes we're dry, right? We're not interested in anything. We don't care about anything. We bottomed out. I use the expression, I'm out of bullets. I'm empty, I'm dry. This is what the Psalmist is saying, that's how oppression Uh, And depression manifested itself. He said, I'm dry. Also, he says, I'm drowning. Look at it in the same chapter. Look at uh, verse 7. Deep calls to deep. At the sound of your waterfalls, all the breakers and your waters have rolled over me. There is a dryness that comes from depression, and there is the waters that have rolled over me. In other words, we're, we're depressed. We feel like we're drowning. Ever feel like that? I'm just drowning, there, there is so much, there's so much conflict, there's so many barriers, there, there's so much heartache, there's so much brokenness, I am so sick, and so we feel like we're, all the world is on top of us, we're drowning, another sign of depression. And then the other sign of depression is we lose heart. By the way, you find, you find dryness in the first stanza of this hymn, You found drowning in the second stanza. In the third stanza, beginning with the 43rd chapter, you find you lose heart. You're disheartened, and we see that all the way through. Verse 2, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because the oppression of my enemies? See, you lose heart. You lose your passion. You use, use a real desire to get up in the morning and you're disheartened. So the psalmist says, hey, we see what caused his depression. Did you get that? All day long, people criticizing, complaining, reviling. People don't have a sense of justice. People who oppress on every point, that'll depress you. People, circumstances, situations in lives, individuals, vocations, homes. Hey, people like the four people I pointed out, Stay around those folks, they'll depress you every single time. And then we see what happens, The kind of depression, he had dryness, he felt like he was drowning and he lost his heart. Now, what is the cure for depression? What is the answer for depression? The psalmist has it built in, has it built in. I want you to see it here very clearly. All of this is a prayer. Chapter 43, he says, vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Verse two, for you are my God. You are the God of my strength and you have, why have you rejected me? And then he goes here in verse number three, oh send your light and your truth and then lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God to God, my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre, that's the harp, I shall sing praise to you, O God, my God." What do we do? We're depressed. Number one, the psalmist, he just would let go. When you read this, do you have any problem knowing he's depressed? Do You see the words there? You can't miss it. He's depressed. We have to start and let go and say, I'm going to take all my depression and let it come out in the light. See, depression speaks of darkness. And coming out of depression, we walk in the light. The psalmist says, I'm going to let go. I'm depressed. I'm down. I I don't have the joy of God, the joy of worship, the joy of people. I'm down. That's the first thing we do. We just let go. We let go. That is very, very important. We have to just get honest. A lot of people come and say, you know, I'm depressed. I don't know why. I say, really? Yeah. I say, well, guess at it. You know, they guess it almost the first time. (laughs) And a lot of times we just don't face. We just don't face up to this. And that is so very important that we face up to it. You see it? What's such another thing, depression? Look here in the Scripture. It, it, it's clear and it's plain to us. Then he says the 6th, thing: remember. Look at verse 4, these things I remember. Look at verse 6, therefore I remember you. When we're depressed, we have to go back and remember. Remember the time you felt close to God. Remember that joy. Listen, if you are blessed, you can't be depressed you got to remember where we are, remember who we are in Christ, remember His grace, remember His second chance, remember the joy of the Lord. We have to remember. God's given us a memory so we can look back in dark moments and say, yes, I remember that hallelujah time. Yes, I remember that glorious time. Then the third thing you have to do, first of all, you let go, right? You let go. You bring it all out in the light, your depression. Next thing do, you remember greater, better days when God was there. That's what the psalmist did all the way through this hymn. And then finally, what do you do? You talk to yourself. Boy, when you wake up in the morning, is anybody talking to you? Yeah, they are. You talk, yourself is talking to you. I wake up every morning, myself is saying something to me. Yours is too. Now, the psalmist says, look, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. If you just listen to all your human, rational kind of thinking, when you wake up, you talk to yourself and say, God, let me, let me, let me explain this. Remember who you are, what you're about. You talk to yourself. See, we listen to ourselves. We don't deal with our oppression. I listen to myself, I say, well, I'm depressed because I made some mistakes. No, usually we're depressed because we made some poor choices. You know the difference between a mistake and a choice? Radically different. Here's someone who is walking in the forest, beautiful day, They need to go through the forest in order to get home, and they walk through the forest, and and it's just a magnificent walk, and they suddenly look away, and they don't notice, and they trip and fall over a cliff and break their neck. That's a mistake, right? A choice would be, here's someone, it is night. He does not have to walk through the forest, but he decides to walk through the forest, and there is a bright sign there saying, no, trespassing, he goes farther in the forest and it says, danger ahead. He moves on in the forest and there's a big sign that says, turn around and go back. And then he trips and falls over the cliff and breaks his neck. He can't say I made a mistake, he made a choice. Therefore, when we find ourselves depressed, See a mistake? If if I say something I didn't mean to say, and I can go to you and say, you know, I want you to forgive me. I, I didn't. I just didn't speak properly. Which uh, well, sure, I'll forgive you. Everybody makes mistakes. But if I purposely decide to put you down and to slander you and to misinterpret you and abuse you, and I do it over a period of time, I've made a choice. So a lot of times, in order to let go of depression, we have to realize we haven't made a mistake. Oh, it's just a mistake. We've made a choice, and with choices we have to confess. We have to seek to make restitution. There has to be probably some tears of remorse. There has to be repentance, and there has to be a humbling and a asking for forgiveness. You see the difference? We haven't really dealt with the basic problem that was pushing us down under the water. Now, we have to make different choices, and I want you to see the choices, the change that the psalmist began to make. Look at here, he says right here, chapter 43, verse number three, oh, send your light. In other words, he chose the presence of God. That's light, God's light, isn't it? and send your truth. He chose the person of God. That's truth. And then lead me and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. He chose the precepts of God. That's the word of God. Verse four, then I will go to the altar of God. He chose the people of God. He hadn't been worshiping. He hadn't been going to church with other people. He chose the people of God. Then he says, and to God my exceeding joy and I will I will upon the lyre, upon the harp, I shall praise you, O God, my God." He chose the praise of God. See what I'm saying? If we're going to come out of depression, we've got to do like the psalmist did. We've got to change our choices. You've got to choose the person of God. You've got to choose the presence of God. You've got to choose to live by the precepts of God. He'll put you on the path. You, You have to choose the people of God. That is the corporate worship together. And then finally, you have to choose to praise God. You can't be depressed when you're always being blessed. And we come out of it. Now, you remember Jesus, when he sent out those apostles the first time he got all the apostles, he sent them out in twos to heal and to preach and to do his work, can you remember that? That's an event in the story of his life. And when all the apostles went out, when they came back to Jesus, what do you think he did? Did he say, oh, let's bow and pray and ask God to help us as we've touched all these lives? No. Did he say, let's get a new strategy of evangelism so we can go out and touch more people for the kingdom of God? Did he tell his apostles they came back in? Is that what he said? No. What did he say? He said, come apart and rest." Hmm. That's not pious enough for some of us, is it? They were exhausted, down. They'd been beaten up by people. They'd been out in ministry. They'd been doing their thing, fulfilling their vocational call, and they came to Jesus. He said, come apart and rest. Vance Havner, an old evangelist, said, if you don't rest, you'll come apart. <laughs> See, one sign of depression is you want to sleep all the time. You don't want to be with people. You do want to sleep, 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 sleep. If that's the symptom of your depression, you need to listen to Ezekiel. The theme of the book of Ezekiel is found in two verses, and they say the same thing. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me and stood me on my feet. And if you want to sleep all the time you're depression, let me tell you, the Spirit of the Lord, if you'll invite Him in your life, will come upon you and stand you on your feet. So you need to wake up. Now, by the same token, if your depression is one of hyperactivity, man, I don't want to face all this. I don't want i am going to have more recreation. I'm going to travel. I'm going to read. I'm going to have television blaring. I'm going to have something in my ear. I'm going to be computing and faxing and and whatever we do, telegraphing, whatever you're doing, man, I'm just going to be, because I don't want to face the depths of my despair. If that's you, your problem not sleeping too much. You're trying to cover over the malady and the darkness in your life by activity. If that's you, come apart and rest. Elijah, the classic illustration of a depressed person in the Bible, had a mountaintop experience, and now he's depressed, and he runs from Jezebel, and he's out there in the wilderness, and the angel comes to him and says, here, I prepared you some food, now go to sleep. Elijah wakes up, he said, here, eat some more, go back to sleep. Some of us need to rest, or we'll come apart. That'll help your depression. Others of us need to understand the Spirit of God will come in us and set us on our feet, and we need to wake up. Some need to go to sleep. Some need to wake up. (laughs) And the bottom line, then you know what? We can sing. Look at your screen again, this great, great chorus. Look at it. Look at it. Fix my eyes on God. That's the first thing we do. And soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face because, say it with me, he He's my, my God. God. All right. He puts a smile on my face. Say that. He puts a smile on my face. All 15 of you say that. He puts a smile on my face. Because He's, He's my God. God.
0: You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. And I'm honored to have Dr. Young here in the studio as we wrap up today's program. Dr. Young, let me ask you, depression can be so debilitating. What do you suggest as the first step for a Christian wanting to break free from it?
1: You know, we all get down. I certainly do. I get discouraged. I I'm mad at myself. I'm upset with other people, the circumstances, the situations. Sometimes you say, you know, I brought this on. Other times you say, well, it just came on me. But when I feel down and out and depressed or beat up or used or abused or left out or whatever brought on that emotion of some degree of depression, what I do is go to work. I just get up early, I drive, I make myself push forward. i say, Lord, I'm going to work today as if it's the uh, most important thing in my life, but I'm going to live today as if it's the last day on earth that I'll live. So I think hard work gets us through a lot of down times instead of sitting back or lying down or taking more medication and saying, oh me, oh my, what can I ever do my answer is put your hand to the plow, don't look back and push forward. And many times I get through these gloomy moments that all of us have. Now, there is clinical depression, and that's another situation entirely. But I'm just thinking in terms of when we're just down and out. We don't know why sometimes, just because we're down and out. And so. Uh, the way I deal with it is say, Lord, just push me on, give me new goals, and I work harder. And that's the way I go through these twilight experiences. Dr. Young, some
0: say that depression is a sign of a lack of faith, but what does the Bible say about the role of
1: faith in dealing with depression? Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, we exercise faith in the middle of despondency, and we see there is evidence out front that we'll get through this. We've been through these dark times before. There's evidence, but the substance is that we know right now that Christ is sufficient in all things. The scripture to claim is, he that is within you, that's Jesus Christ, is greater than he that is in the world. Whatever the world deals out, whatever happens to us, we have to go back to the fundamentals and exercise faith in God and faith in Christ and know that that is a substance and that is the evidence that will see us all the way through this valley that we wake up in sometimes.
0: Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.